that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. All right, what's up, everybody? It is Brian Shapiro, yours truly, pushing the limits, and uh, so glad you could join us on a Friday. We made it throughout the week. We, we, we got here, and uh, so glad you could join us. You know, sometimes I lie on this show, and I say we have a, a big show lined up for you. I'm actually telling the truth today. We actually do. We actually do have a big show lined up today. We got some, uh, some big guests. We're going to have some fun. And let me give you the rundown on what we got going on today. A controversial figure is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. He's Donald Trump's former speechwriter. He was fired by Donald Trump, then rehired by Donald Trump. Uh, and I was reading a little bit about this guy. Apparently, he was let go by the Trump administration for hanging, hanging out with a bunch of white nationalists. And then Trump rehired him again. Uh, he is the founder of Revolver News. It's another controversial right-wing uh, media network. And boy, he has said some controversial things, whether it be about January 6th or Black Lives Matter. Uh, his name is Darren Beatty, and he's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Oh, I know it's going to be entertaining, and I know it's going to be interesting. And as I mentioned, he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. He's got a new book out. Uh, it's called The January 6th Report. At least it's his report. Uh, so we'll be uh, talking to him about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. Then the biggest name in poker. He's been the biggest name in poker for two decades. Always love having this guy on. Real Kid Poker, Danny DeGrand, is going to be joining us at the top of the hour. Um, I know he was just playing at the win, the World Poker Tour, and he took what I would consider one of the most horrendous beats. If you don't know what a bad beat is in gambling, it is extremely unlucky. Um We'll talk to him a little bit about that. We'll talk a little VGK hockey with him and everything and anything else that is going on in the world. Real Kid Poker, Danny Negrano, joining us at around 1 o'clock. Then there's this, um, it's an incredible story to me, and it's a story that's made national headlines, and it's a story about a guy, Patriots fan. He's in town last week. He's uh, at Allegiant Stadium. He's watching his first NFL game, and he's wearing a Patriots jersey. And this horrific human being, this terrible woman. I thought it was Michelle Fiore for a moment. I had to do a double take uh, in this video that went viral. It's got over 15 million views. Apparently, you know, uh, it, at least in the video from what I saw, this woman was harassing him. She's a Raiders fan wearing a Derek Carr jersey, harassing him and, and getting in his face. And he showed amazing restraint, this Patriots fan. And the video went viral. Like I said, over 15 million people have watched this video. So what happened? Well, Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, reached out to him. They're giving him tickets in a suite. He's going to meet all the players. The Raiders have also reached out to him. So we're going to give details on this story. It's a happy ending. I want to find out who this despicable clown, this this pig that was uh, harassing this, this poor guy. This happens at NFL games and sporting events across the country. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to root for your team, but this stuff has to stop. People get hurt. Sometimes people get killed. Luckily, that didn't happen here. This despicable woman... This pig should be banned from not only going to Raiders games, from any game at Allegiant Stadium for the rest of her life. I want to find out who she is. We know who he is, uh, the hero in all this. And yes, I do say that because when you see this video, the guy showed unbelievable restraint. I don't know if I could have done that. I mean, she was in his face, and he just did everything he could to ignore her, and he did a wonderful job. So I'm glad the Raiders and the Patriots have uh, gotten involved to help this guy out. Uh, it's a great gesture by them. He deserves it. And... Uh, 
been actually been speaking to him on social media as well. Eventually, we'll get him on the show. So really great story. I want to talk a little bit more about it coming up in our number two. But, you know, I got to start off by talking about Carrie Lake. Yeah, my good pal, Carrie Lake, another despicable person who's attacking our democracy. So, you know, she had this trial. And in this trial, she said that she was revealing all the fraud in the elections and that she won the election in Arizona. And she apparently she had this bombshell, right? Kerry Lake had a bombshell. And the bombshell, she claimed, proved that Maricopa County schemed up a plan to rob Kerry Lake of victory. That's what she's been claiming. Well, guess what, folks? In this trial where supposedly she was going to be giving up this big bombshell, there wasn't even a firecracker. It was a nothing burger. And I'll go through it with you to prove that. Because anybody who has any legal experience, any law experience, they would tell you that there's no merit to this case. So Lake's attorney clung to this theory that somebody shrunk the ballots to cause election day mayhem and cost Lake the election. That's obviously not true. Okay. It was about, let me just explain to you what this case is actually about, the legal ramifications of this case. This is according to the judge, not according to me. It's about bringing evidence that shows someone intentionally caused the county's ballot on demand printers to malfunction. And that as a result of that was enough indefiable votes that were lost to change the outcome of the election. That's what this court case is about. And it was also about whether Republican-run county intentionally played fast and loose with the rules that require them to keep track of early ballots, allowing Democrat Katie Hobbs to come away with the win. That's what this case is about. So who did Kerry Lake's attorneys have up there on the stand? Let's go through this. A whistleblower from Runbeck Election Services who didn't testify, but instead avowed to a Lake investigator that she saw fellow employees bring in 50 early ballots of family members and illegally adding them to the vote total. There is zero evidence that that happens. It is just an unsubstantiated claim. But of course, some of Kerry Lake's people and Republicans will lead you to believe that there's credibility to that when there's no evidence of it. A partisan pollster calling himself the people's pundit a guy whose polling firm, Big Data Poll, scored an F rating from the poll analysis website 538, saying that Kerry Lake won the election. It's a great, great witness right there, by the way. They have sworn declarations from 200 voters who said they were impacted by election day problems. Okay, just think about that for a moment. This could be 200 wackadoodles or anybody that just supports Kerry Lake and they think Kerry Lake won and they're sore losers and they're morons. And by the way, only 200 people. How many people voted in that county? You could only find 200 wackadoodles. And finally, they got a cybersecurity expert who testified that the county's printers were set up to spit out 19-inch ballots on 20-inch paper. Ballots that then couldn't be counted, except the cons- th- this guy also conceded that they wouldn't have been counted anyway. <laughs> that when the ballots can't be read by a vote center tabulator, he acknowledged it's sent to a bipartisan board of workers that transfers the voter's choice onto a fresh ballot so it can be tabulated. That was it. Those were the witnesses that they called on the stand. And let me be very clear. 
Kerry Lake's attorneys didn't prove anything. They certainly didn't prove that there was any intent of any wrongdoing. They didn't prove that Democrats cheated or Republicans cheated. And as for the always aggravated Carrie Lake, forever playing to the court of public opinion, she predictably claimed victory upon leaving the courthouse on Thursday afternoon. I want to play you a little bit of this audio. So this is Carrie Lake, and I just played for you what her attorneys couldn't prove in the courtroom because the trial is now over. But again, just like Alex Jones would come out of a courtroom and say it was a victory and they're all cheaters and this and that. We all know what happened to Alex Jones. Very similar to Kerry Lake. Listen to Kerry Lake spouting out lies and certainly the opposite of what we all saw in the courtroom. Here's Kerry Lake yesterday afternoon. So incredibly proud of our amazing attorneys and staff that put this amazing case together, historic case. We proved without a shadow of a doubt <laughs> that there was malicious intent <laughs> you did? that caused disruption so great it changed the results of the election. I'm incredibly proud of, of both Brian Blem and Kurt Olson who led up this legal team. We provided expert testimony. We provided experts. The other side brought in activists to try to save face. They admitted that they've known about these ballot problems. They're ballot problems. Now they're trying to say that it's been going on for three elections. Our elections are a mess in this country. And I am so happy to stand up and longer will we as Americans put up with this. We demand fair, honest, transparent elections, and we will get them. And I pray so hard for this judge. I think that he really took in all of that information. I think he listened very closely to what happened. And I am fighting for the people of Arizona, but not just for the people of Arizona. I'm fighting for the people of this country and for our future. If we don't have honest elections where we decide who represents us, then we don't have a country anymore. And you know, the you know, the defendants, their attorney said it in his closing in his closing statement. He said, We choose our rulers. Isn't that telling? Mm. This was a selection, not an election. And we in America choose who represents us. And we will restore honest elections. And I will never stop fighting. I will never stop fighting. So thank you very much. All right. So Nothing but lies there. Uh, and by the way, she called them expert witnesses that some whistleblower, uh, that couldn't prove anything, a partisan pollster, uh, and a cyber, supposed cybersecurity expert that didn't prove anything. Okay. Carrie Lake's an idiot. She's a complete moron. Uh, if Carrie Lake and her attorneys had proof that the county plotted to deny her this election, it wasn't offered in the courtroom. Same thing with Donald Trump. If Donald Trump and his attorneys in those 61 opportunities had actual real evidence that there was enough voter fraud to overturn the outcome of the 2020 presidential election, they would have presented it in a courtroom. They don't. Kerry Lake's attorneys do not have any sufficient evidence were there some mistakes made? Sure. Does that mean that there was enough to prevent her from winning? No. At least that wasn't proven in court. Is there any evidence at all that they provided that Democrats or even Republicans tried to cheat or were malicious in trying to make sure that Hobbs won? No. 
That's what this court case is all about. When you say they cheated, and when you say this wasn't a fair election, you have to come up with evidence. You can't just throw things on a wall and hope that it sticks. So here's what's going to happen. It's so predictable, ladies and gentlemen. But in case you don't know what's going to happen here, I will tell you what's going to happen. The judge will find that there is absolutely no merit and there's no sufficient evidence to prove that anybody meddled in the elections and tried to steal the election or intentionally tried to cheat or not count votes. There's no evidence of that. So while Carrie Lake, you just heard from her and she said she's praying for the judge, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. They're not going to find any wrongdoing. They will determine that in the courtroom, and then Carrie Lake will attack our justice system, and she'll attack the judge. She'll probably call the judge bias. Maybe she'll call the judge a Democrat. Maybe they'll try to dig up dirt on the judge. That's exactly what's going to happen here, because first they attack our democracy when it comes to our elections, and then they attack our judges. Do we remember when Donald Trump was being investigated? And remember when uh, a judge happened to be of Mexican descent, even though I believe he was born in America, but he was Mexican. And remember the judge went after him and said that he couldn't take the case on merit because of where he was from. That's what they do. That's what these disgusting, repugnant Republicans do. That's what the, what these were Trumplicans do. If they're not giving a job to Michelle Fiore in Nye County, they're talking about Kerry Lake. And make no mistake about it, Kerry Lake lost the election, and it was a free and fair elections. And just because there were a few mistakes that were made doesn't mean there was ill intent or it was criminal. That's what this case is about. Did things happen and were Democrats or Republicans in advance trying to mess with the election? Was there criminal intent? The answer is obviously no, and if there was, Kerry Lake's attorneys certainly didn't provide any evidence of that in court. There is going to be no wrongdoing here. Katie Hobbs is the governor. She won. And what will Kerry Lake do next? I don't know. She'll probably be attacking the judge, and for the rest of her life, she'll still be crying that she won the election, which she didn't. But it gets worse, and it gets worse at a local level now. Because as you know, the January 6th committee put out their final report. And we're going to be talking about that coming up here in about 10 or 15 minutes with Darren Beatty, who takes Trump's side, you know, with everything. January 6th, you name it. So he's got a new book out about January 6th. We'll talk to him about this. But I want to talk locally now with you. Michael Ronald McDonald, as I like to call him, the bozo who happens to be the Republican chair here in Clark County. Now, remember when the FBI seized his cell phone in regards to possible electorates, a fake electorate scheme? Well, now we're learning that Michael McDonald was not only questioned about a major plan on President Donald Trump's desire to go into full attack mode following the 2020 election. And again, this is uh, on record of his testimony to the January 6th committee. Michael McDonald spoke to the January 6th committee. Remember when Donald Trump said that if you take the fifth, you're probably guilty? Well, guess what? Michael Ronald McDonald invoked the Fifth Amendment when speaking to the January 6th committee 
Not once. Not twice. Not three times. Michael McDonald invoked the Fifth Amendment over 200 times, refusing to answer questions. On February 24, 2022, before the U.S. House Select Committee investigated the January 6th attack. The reference to a major plan contained in a text message on McDonald's phone and another text containing discussion of full attack mode indicating that McDonald not only had knowledge of events that followed President Joe Biden's victory on Election Day, but he was actually involved in it. He was on the phone to President to the President, Mark Meadows, disgraced attorney and former mayor Rudy Giuliani. And he said, they want full attack mode. We're going to have a war room meeting in about an hour in the boss's suite. That was a text message from, that's right, your Republican chair, Michael Ronald McDonald. McDonald did not answer investigators' questions, repeatedly citing the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. He said he was invoking the Fifth Amendment on the advice of his attorneys. The 80-page transcript of the questions and McDonald's responses was released earlier this week. The committee delved into details of a plan related to alternate electors, which played out in Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. David Charge from Channel 8 is a great reporter, and he reported on the state party officials' actions meeting in Carson City in December 2022. Jim Graffenreid, who's also a Nevada Republican Party executive board member and another complete douchebag, was also questioned by the committee. He was also deposed on February 24th, and he also invoked the Fifth Amendment repeatedly. McDonald and Graffenreid were among six fake electors who signed documents that were sent to the National Archives. They were asked, Did you participate in a meeting of alternate electors that took place in Carson City, Nevada on December 14, 2020 to cast electoral ballots for President Trump and Vice President Pence? McDonald's response wasn't no. It was, based on advice from my attorney, I'll be invoking my Fifth Amendment privilege. Obviously, the answer is yes. And for all of you Republicans out there, You must be very proud who your Republican chair is. You're really represented by some wonderful people. Michael McDonald is a scumbag. He is a liar. And if you're a Republican, why would you want somebody like that representing you? Why would you want him to be the Republican chair? He is a despicable human being. He is a liar. And there is no doubt and no question he tried to overturn the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Another guy who wears the Donald Trump knee pads. And he's been doing it for quite some time, ladies and gentlemen, quite some time. The committee also asked McDonald about his communications with Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Matt Morgan, Justin Clark, Nick Trainer, among others. The transcript trip of uh, McDonald's deposition also refers to a call with the Trump campaign on December 9th, 2020 regarding alternate electors. Another set of questions involved December 11th. Emails from Chessboro regarding seven documents I prepared for Nevada. The documents purportedly offered instructions on filing electoral votes. These are people that tried to change the outcome of our election and forget about 
our democracy and the will of the people, because we didn't like the outcome of the election, we are going to follow Donald Trump and we are going to try to falsify the 2020 elections. That's exactly what Michael McDonald did. And trust me, if Kerry Lake had her opportunity, she would do the exact same thing. This happened throughout the country. It wasn't just Nevada. This is criminal. That's why Michael McDonald's cell phone was seized by the FBI. That's what he tried to do. Doesn't that bother you? Doesn't it bother you that the I'm talking to Republicans out there. I know it bothers any reasonable people, whether it be an independent or a Democrat. Doesn't that bother you if you're a Republican? I don't care who you are in this city. How does that not bother you? This is the chair of the Republican Party who is having discussions with members of Donald Trump's administration, very prominent people about fake electors, a meeting in Carson City where they tried to fake electors. Over 200 times pleading the fifth, if he didn't do anything wrong, he would answer questions. Of course, his attorney is telling him not to answer questions because his client is guilty. They're guilty. Donald Trump's own words. Those of you who plead the fifth, you're probably guilty. Donald Trump said that, not me. I mean, I agree with him. Me and Donald Trump agree on something. By the way, Donald Trump also has pleaded the fifth quite a lot this year. Quite a lot. How do these people look in the mirror? How do people like Carrie Lake look in the mirror? They know they're lying. That's the thing that's sickening to me. There are a lot of ignorant people in this country that I have conversations with, and they're very short conversations. Yes, there are actually really stupid people in this country that are Trumplicans that still believe that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. Listen, you can't help those people. If you're dumb, you're dumb. There's nothing I can do about it, right? If you're that stupid that you actually think Trump won and Carrie Lake won and Michael McDonald is innocent, if you're really that dumb, I can't have a conversation with you. You're ob- you're too stupid. I'm sorry. But, you know, it's one thing if you're just stupid and there's plenty of those people, but it's another thing if you're a Michael McDonald or a Kerry Lake or a Donald Trump, you know you lost. Make no mistake about it. You can see Kerry Lake all the time prominently saying, I won the election. I won the elections. The Democrats stole it. Katie Hobbs stole it. Deep down inside, she will never admit it for her entire life. Kerry Lake knows she lost the election. She knows there wasn't any type of fraud that would have changed the outcome. So does Donald Trump. And that's been proven because Donald Trump has said that to members of his staff that have testified before the January 6th committee. Donald Trump knew he lost the election. That's what makes this so bad because they know they're lying. It's one thing if you question an election. I go back to Al Gore, right? That was what? We were within a couple hundred votes in Florida. That was extremely close and excruciating. And Al Gore could have taken that step and gone on forever and ever and ever. He didn't accuse Republicans of stealing an election. He didn't accuse George W. Bush of cheating or Republicans cheating. He contested the election. And then when he realized there really wasn't much of a pathway and George W. Bush was going to be our next president, he conceded and he showed class. These retrumplicans have zero class. Zero. And as much as I disagree with Amy Tarkanian, the former Republican chair, as much as I disagree with her, and I disagree with her on a number of issues, as much as I disagree with her, she would never have taken it this far and she would have never done this. Knowing Amy Tarkanian as well as I do, she wouldn't have done this. So I want you to, to think about this for a moment. Think about this. We have a lot of problems in this country. And sometimes Republican Republicans bring up some fair issues facing this nation, even though they don't have any solutions. That's par for the course for a lot of these Republicans today. But there are a lot of issues. 
Our, there's no question that our border is a major issue that needs to be addressed, and, and it needed to be addressed for a long, long time, not just since Joe Biden took office. That's a problem that needs to be addressed. Immigration needs to be addressed in this country. Republicans and Democrats need to come together. There's no question about that. We need to help people in this country that are, are suffering from mental illness. We need to do something about guns in this country and violence. No question about it. We need to make sure that everybody has a chance to have access to really good health care in this country. There are a lot of issues facing this country that need to be worked out. And Republicans and Democrats, they just want to attack each other. All Republicans have uh, want to do is they just want to complain, 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 but they have no solutions to any issues. They want to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. They don't want to talk about gas prices, if you notice, when they uh, get, when, when they take the House. All of a sudden, they don't want to talk about inflation. They don't want to talk about gas prices. They want an inv- investigation into the Bidens, and they want to look into Hunter Biden's laptop. Explain to me how a private citizen's laptop, what does that have to do with helping you? Helping you pay your bills. Maybe you're having trouble. Uh, maybe maybe you think gas prices are too high or inflation, whatever the case may be. You need health care. But the House, the Republicans take over the House, and the first thing they do is not addressing those issues. They want to look into Hunter Biden's laptop. What does that say? Election integrity. That's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about election integrity. Let me tell you something. Many of these people that talk about election integrity can't spell the word integrity. They're the same buffoons in Nye County that voted in Michelle Fiore to be the justice of the peace. They're a bunch of Trumplicans. And all they do, and all they continue to do, is defend their behavior and their actions. They would probably put in Michael McDonald as a justice of the peace if they had the opportunity. It's very, very sad. It's very, very sad. But hey, I want to get into this. I want to get into January 6th, and I want to get into... um all the issues facing the Republican Party today. Well, the guy we're having on next, his name is Darren Beatty. He is the founder of Revolver News. He's the former speechwriter for President Donald Trump. And he's got a new book out, the January 6th report. So I want to pick his brain. Oh, there's a lot of topics I want to get to with him. I think it is fair to say that he is a controversial figure, and I don't think he would deny that. He will be joining us next. We'll take a quick break, and we will be back right after this. You are listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east 
of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super. Hero, that is. Because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Whether you're a corporate executive, on a family vacation, or just passing through, St. George Inn & Suites will meet your specific needs. It's conveniently located near restaurants, shopping, and movie theaters. St. George Inn & Suites offers a variety of room types, two fabulous pools and jacuzzis, a fitness center, a free full hot buffet breakfast, and laundry facilities. To make your booking, call 435-673-6661 or book online at stgeorgeinnhotel.com. You need to stop in Southern Utah? Make that stop at St. George Inn & Suites. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and the latest lines on every game. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards on every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to StationCasinoSports.com or sign up at any Station Casino, Fiesta Wildfire, or the El Cortez. Details at the Sportsbooks. Hey, everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub? When you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it.
It's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices. Office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. A great time! Your entertainment destination, the South Point, invites you to experience the ultimate great time under one roof. Dancing, a live show, a movie, delicious dining, and one of South Point's 11 restaurants. So much to see, so much to do, you won't know where to start first. This week, make it a South Point week and discover for yourself why the South Point is your entertainment destination for a great time. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. everybody it's brian shapiro from pushing the limits i want to tell you guys about sahara west urgent care and wellness they're conveniently located on the southwest corner of sahara and jones they're open monday through friday 9 a.m to 9 p.m and saturday 9 a.m to 5 p.m at sahara west urgent care they'll take care of all your health care needs they offer routine services such as physicals std testing car accident treatment and work injuries you name it they do it they have on-site x-ray ekg ultrasound and labs they treat chronic conditions such as asthma blood pressure diabetes and more 
They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn, that true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Best of Las Vegas winners each of the last two years. Glazed Donuts is a family business. Taste the passion and quality in each delectable handmade donut. Experience amazing fresh donuts at Glazed Donuts. Located at 6545 South Fort Apache Road on the southwest corner of Sunset. Glaze is open every day from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. If you're interested in large orders, please call them at 702-246-2888. Follow Glaze on Facebook and Instagram, where they're showing off all their delicious treats. And check them out at glazedonutslv.com. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, listen, uh, I always like having interesting guests on this show, different types of guests, guests, uh, whether it be political, uh, entertainment, sports, you name it, we do it here. And the guy we have with us on the line right now, well, he is the founder of Revolver News. His name is Darren Beatty. He's also a former speechwriter for President Donald J. Trump. He's got a new book out, the January 6th report, the report of the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. And Darren joins us right on the line. Darren, thank you so much for being here, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. All right. Well, I guess I'll start with this because you're you're the perfect person to ask this, right? What were your thoughts on the January 6th final report that just came out? I mean, it was a joke and very, very a predictable joke due to the composition of the committee itself. I mean, once you know who comprised the committee, it's a foregone conclusion what it would be. And I'm not just saying that because the uh, members of the committee were deeply partisan. In fact, it's funny, the nominal Republicans are even more anti-Trump than the Democrats. So it's a bipartisan committee of Republicans who hate Trump and Democrats who hate Trump. But um, it goes beyond that because the chair of the committee, Benny Thompson, actually in his personal capacity, launched a lawsuit against Trump and several others pertaining to January 6th. This lawsuit laid out a whole theory of the case of January 6th. And that theory of the case, which came like very, very shortly after um, the second impeachment of Trump, is basically the finding of the J6 committee. And so if anyone's concerned with a little concept called conflict of interest, having someone chair the committee who's already launched a personal lawsuit with a theory of the case already advanced uh, for a committee that's supposed to examine an issue afresh and objectively, 
um, it's already doomed uh, to fail from that perspective. Well, let's, so, let's let's get your opinions, though, on January 6th. And let's just say for hypothetically speaking that everybody on that committee was biased towards Donald Trump. Let, let's assume you're 100 percent correct. Against, biased against. Yeah, right. Right. That's what yeah. I just said. By, let's just assume for, for argument's sake, you're 100 percent right. What are your opinions on January 6th? And do you feel like Donald Trump deserves any responsibility? I'm sure you would agree with me. Let's start where we uh, hopefully we can agree. There was violence that day. And I'm sure you don't uh, you know, you, you don't you didn't want to see that happen. Right. No, I didn't want to see that. I think I mean, again, so the question is, how did the violence take place? Mm-hmm. What what were the conditions that were put in place that allowed for this? peaceful rally, what should have been a peaceful rally to turn into a riot. Um, how did that happen? And again, the, the full story of this, um, unfortunately, runs outside of the scope of the conversation. I'd encourage people go and get the Skyhorse version of the J6 report because there are other you know versions that come out just reinforcing the establishment narrative. You got to get the Skyhorse version if you want to hear right. um, the the counterpoints, or go to Revolver News and read it. But in in short, um, there are a number of really peculiar things. One thing that I find peculiar is it would be one thing if the Capitol had the same amount of security as any other day on January 6th. That in and of itself would be weird. Um, You know, January 6th is a day that is known to, you know, be a controversial day. You know, there was going to be a certification proceeding in Congress. Trump was there going to speak about the stolen election. There are going to be a huge crowd there. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to know that this might be a day for enhanced security. Mm -hmm. But not only was there not enhanced security, not only was there, you know, not ordinary security, there is uniquely non-existent security on that day. Um, and that's you know just the first step of it. The second step is how did the how did the riot actually take place? And this gets into some of the territory that is extremely explosive and that a lot of what I would call the regime media, the sort of the intel infiltrated media really went nuts when when I first reported on this at Revolver News is that um, so there's there's really poor security. Then the second step is seeing, was there any advanced knowledge that something might go down beyond the mere common sense that if you have a huge crowd in those conditions, something could happen? So I think you. Yeah, go ahead. And the answer to that is yes, along a number of dimensions. Mm -hmm. So we've since learned that the most, you know, the most quote unquote insurrectiony aspects of January 6th are imputed to a handful of um, so-called militia groups, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and mm-hmm. so forth. And what we've learned through the course of the January 6th trials and the Oath Keepers trials and other things and reporting not just from my organization, but the New York Times and others, is that these militia groups were subjects of extreme infiltration. They had tons of informants in there going up to the very highest levels. In fact, in the Oath Keepers militia group, it was revealed recently that the number two guy was an FBI informant. And so, you know, let's look at the word itself, informant. If they had all of these informants in there, then they must have been informed in advance. And that adds an additional layer of suspicions to say if they had 
advanced information of all of this stuff going on, it, it, it only reinforces the question as to why they refuse to have any reasonable measures of security on that day. And that's well, not even talking about the active. So I agree. Groups, so I agree I'm with happy you to talk about. Yeah. But I'll be quiet for sure. now and let you respond. Well, no, if, if you're just joining us, he is Darren Beatty. He's got a new book out, former speechwriter for President Donald Trump. So, Darren, I agree with you. There were obviously some major security issues there that needs that 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 can't happen again. Uh, I agree with you 100 percent on that. But I have to ask you this. I know you're a loyalist to Donald Trump. I know that you worked for the man. I get that. You don't hold any responsible uh, any responsibility for Donald Trump months leading up to it, saying that Democrats cheated and Joe Biden stole the election. You don't think he incited that at all? No, I mean, I think you you may think that he's incorrect in saying that, but I don't think voicing an opposition to the way that the election played out constitutes criminal incitement. I think that's First Amendment protected speech. And if he actually did believe that it was stolen, which he absolutely did believe it, even if not according to people, not according to Hutchinson and people that uh, have testified on the record through the January 6th committee saying that Donald Trump admitted that he knew he did not win the election. Well, I mean, I would say that's ridiculous. And there there are a lot of problems in there with a lot of the testimony. They didn't. There's a reason. That's the other thing. They didn't allow for any cross-examination of any of these people in the committee. Again, we can get into a lot of the problems with the committee itself and how um, they didn't really ask the questions that needed to be asked. They called in people who had kind of personal vendettas against the president. I understand that. I know that there are members of the committee and and you believe that they're all anti-Trump. I get that point that you're making. But let's just go back to the idea that to say that the, and this gets back maybe to the purposes of why January 6th was allowed to happen and perhaps why it was even sort of instigated to happen. And it does in some measure um, touch upon the question of the 2020 election and whether it's appropriate to um, to basically publicly question certain aspects. So let me ask you, do you think do you think it's OK to question it? But when you say Democrats cheated and I won the election in a landslide, with all due respect, that's not questioning an election. That's lying. I mean, I mean, you still believe that Trump won the 2020 election? Because I got to be honest with you, if you do, that's absolutely absurd. Well, now we're kind of shifting issues. We're getting. Well, this is the whole issue you know, because January 6th doesn't happen if Donald Trump doesn't lie and say the election was stolen. With all due respect, January 6th does not happen if Donald Trump isn't. He's not just questioning. I agree with you. Questioning is OK. Al Gore questioned the election. That That's fair. He can do that. But when you say Democrats cheated and Joe Biden lost and I won in a landslide, that's not questioning. Okay. Well, I mean, the way I see it, I think there are two separate issues um, logically. There's there's one question as to litigate whether or not 2020 was stolen. That's really not my place to do here, uh, you know, to talk about here. But there's a separate question, and I'm my position is it's a separate question mm-hmm. whether advancing the notion that 2020 was stolen is ipso facto incitement from a legal perspective. And I would say that's absolutely false. It's difficult to prove. I agree with you on that. It would be very difficult well, I mean, incitement to prove. Incitement is a legal concept. And it, you know, if, if you're saying that's incitement, that means basically that 
questioning the results of 2020 election is not First Amendment protected speech. Again, we're going we're into, into very bizarre territory. I, understood. Of your position. Uh, understood. But I think there's a difference between questioning and then saying you won in a landslide and Democrats cheated. I think that's an attack on our democracy. Well, saying I, cheated. I mean, this is, you know, people forget because of the obsession with Trump, people forget just how commonplace this type of rhetoric really is in our politics. In fact, one thing I cover in the um, in the introduction forward to the Skyhorse version of the J6 report, mm-hmm. Benny Thompson himself, and he's not alone, um, basic, he said, you know, Bush cheated, Bush stole the election. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton was saying that Trump stole the election. Hillary Clinton conceded the following morning and we didn't have a Democratic insurrection. So I think that's a very false analogy that you're trying to make. Well, it's not a false analogy because you're suggesting that saying an election was stolen constitutes incitement. And I'm saying this is a very common feature of our political. Well, I look at Donald Trump's behavior that day for five hours. He's sitting at the dining room table looking at a television, doing absolutely nothing. Basically, everybody in his administration, maybe not you, but everybody in his administration told him to put out a video and, and, and say, stop the violence, stop the violence. He didn't want to do it. And it took him five hours to do so, because I think he enjoyed what took place on January 6th. People died that day. Hillary Clinton's not responsible for a Democratic insurrection direction where people died but i want to i want to give now we're getting to be psychologists but i thought we were addressing the legal question of whether saying the 2020 election was stolen constitutes incitement i'm saying if that's your position that's a very left field type position because it would mean that questioning the election is not First Amendment protected speech, which actually is kind of where all of this is going. Well, well, from a legal, but from a legal perspective, if Donald Trump isn't saying for months before January 6th that Democrats cheated, and if he's not saying that Joe Biden lost and I won in a landslide, January 6th doesn't happen. We'll let the legal ramifications pan out. I get your point. I want to give you an opportunity, sir, to comment on this. You know what you tweeted on January 6th. Uh, You made some tweets. You declared that various black individuals and groups learn their place and take Anita Maga. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Why did you make those tweets? What did you mean by that when you said learn your place and take Anita Maga in referring to these black individuals like Tim Scott and others? Well, Tim Scott has got a lot of problems. I mean, this is a separate question. Maybe I can come out later and we can litigate the Tim Scott issue. I think, um, you know, a lot of people promote him. I think he's up to no good. He's what people call. I understand, but I'm not asking you your personal feelings on Tim Scott about black, but it's, well, you named, you named Kendi, K Coles, James, BLM and Tim Scott. They all happen to be black. And you told them, learn your place and take a knee to MAGA. I'm asking you what you meant by learn your place and take a knee to MAGA. Well, they need to learn their place as in the sense that, you know, they're not representing what they claim to be representing. And the idea, you know, I see people try to do this in hit pieces and things. It's very selective because they're just so I was saying a bunch of people should take a knee. I said the FBI should take a knee. I mentioned a lot of different people, but the hit pieces just select the people who happen to be black on that and think, you know, try to make it a racial thing, which it wasn't. I mentioned a lot of people who and institutions that I think we're doing a very bad job, including the FBI. 
Um, and basically, you know, it wasn't meant to be entirely serious. I'll take not, you. I'm I'll take you for your word. Need to MAGA, Understood. But. I'll take you for your word on that. But you did talk about hit pieces on in Revolver. You've mm-hmm. written articles and you put articles out there about Hunter Biden's laptop and alleged sources that say that he was having sex with underage women. Wouldn't you consider that to be exactly what you're talking against, which would be a hit piece? Well, I mean. It matters if things are true. The narratives are true. I don't know about the underage, but I think we've found that there are a lot of bizarre materials in the Hunter laptop. And if you've been following the Twitter files issue, it's a remarkable thing. Like, frankly, as far as the contents of Hunter's laptop, it's really not an obsession of mine. We ran like maybe one piece on it. I know a lot of the conservative media is obsessed with it. I think it's important, but more important than that, I think, is the meta issue of just how the reporting on this topic became a subject Mm -hmm. of really troubling censorship. And we learned from some of the Twitter files how government institutions engaged with the leadership of Twitter, and they basically acknowledged in these internal communications that the story did not violate their terms of service. They came up with this weird thing that it was Russian of Russian provenance, which turned out to be false. I understand that, but that's not this critical story just days before a presidential election. Now, that's a big problem. I understand, but I'm just specifically talking about you. You're speaking out against hit pieces. I don't I don't want to see hit pieces on the left or the right. But again, I'm going back to what I just said. You put out an article on Revolver talking about an alleged source that says Hunter Biden was having sex with underage women. There is no proof that that exists. Why don't you own that? And why don't you admit that that's a hit piece? Well, I mean, I'd like to see the exact language that you're pulling on from there. It's an article that was in your article. You know exactly what article I'm talking about. If you have it up, you should read the exact language. I mean, I have it right in front of me here. If you want me to go through it, we don't have a lot more time, but you know exactly the article I'm talking about. You interviewed someone. Well, I know that you- we did it, but I don't know if we we directly said that Hunter was having sex with underage girls. I don't think the source claimed to have seen idea. inappropriate photos of underage girls on Hunter Biden's laptop. I apologize for so, mischaracterizing that. Uh, yeah. That is the language and that was used. Probably, you know what? There probably were. I haven't seen the full laptop, but there probably were. I don't see anyone denying that. There's definitely what we would call. I'm not, you know, some big prude, but. Right. I think most people would consider some of the material in Hunter's laptop to be inappropriate. And if how do you know what's on? How do you know what's this? Yeah, ask you this. Sure. If it weren't considered inappropriate, why did the government and the big tech companies collude, go to such great lengths to censor any reporting? on? I'll tell you why. So appropriate. I'll tell you why. What I believe. A lot of the reporting was not correct. A lot of people have these sources. You have a source you claimed that claims that there were inappropriate photos of underage girls. Comes from Russian? You think it's the product of Russian hacking? Like, no, I don't think uh, it's the. I don't think it's the product of Russian hacking. Although we do know it comes from. You think the laptop is faked? I didn't say the laptop was fake, but there's a fine. So what about it? The story is false. Like people, you don't. Where is your evidence that there were inappropriate photos of underage girls on Hunter Biden's laptop? You have some alleged source that tells you that you print that you do an article about it. That is, to me, the exact definition of a hit piece, something that you just spoke against when people were writing about you with these tweets on Twitter. I'm willing to believe you that you're not a racist, even though you've hung out with plenty of white nationalists. Isn't that why Donald Trump fired you the first time? 
Well, that was that was a big hit piece. That was a big hit. Okay, well there you go. I'm defending you. I don't like hit pieces. Why are you doing the exact same thing on Revolver? Well, as far as I know, that piece is perfectly sound. And if you want to go back and look at some of the pieces, like, you know, I wasn't thinking we're going to talk about Hunter's laptop here. But if you want to talk about that, you know, go and look at some of the images that are proven to have been on that hard drive. And I think any reasonable person would come to the conclusion that, you know, they might be inappropriate. Again, this isn't my big issue. I'm not the prude saying Hunter this, Hunter that. We ran like one maybe two pieces on it total. I think the censorship of it is actually a bigger story than the substance of the laptop itself. Well, he's a private citizen, but, and I really don't... If he's hanging out with hookers and doing drugs, which clearly he has done in the past, he's a private citizen, and I don't know why so many Republicans are obsessed about that. But well, did, I'll tell you the reason for that. I mean, again, I mean, there's moralism involved, and that's not really my angle. Right. I think the, the angle that a lot of people are concerned about, though is um, if you have highly objectionable and sensitive material in your laptop like that, and you happen to be the son of the vice president of the president, that's a liability in terms of leverage. And if Mm -hmm. um, foreign agencies get a hold of it, or even domestic groups get a hold of it, they could potentially use that to control you or control your father if your father happens to be the vice president or sure. the president. Sure. And that could be a problem. And that's why, you know, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people, the whole process of obtaining a security clearance involves sort of yep. questions about this type of activity, not because they're moral scolds, but because they're concerned about yeah. the liabilities from that. So, Darren, I agree with you. Darren, I want to be very clear on this. I agree with you. But until there are laws put in place that's saying a, a kid can't take advantage of who their father is or their mother is, then I don't see anything illegal that Joe Biden well, did. There are some there are actually laws about this and um, there Not, are all kinds of disclosure requirements. There are reporting requirements. Right. If it affects national security. Absolutely. You have to register for FARA. There are actually a lot of laws that govern this. I understand when it you're right when it when it comes to our national security, but I don't see anything that rises to that level with what Hunter Biden did. Same thing with the Trump family. As you know, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, they made a lot of money. When, and this is proven, by the way, when they're when uh, Donald Trump was president. I don't. The world whoop, sorry about that. I don't I don't like that. OK, but in, until there are laws put in place. And until I see actual proof that Joe Biden broke the law or Hunter Biden, listen, he's in, in, being investigated right now, Hunter Biden, for tax fraud. Other than that, I don't think there's any other investigations going on when it comes to Hunter Biden. Am I wrong on that? I mean, to be honest, it's really not an issue I care about tremendously. The oh, okay. Hunter issue. Okay. I think I think the January 6th issue, the right. Fed's direction, that's really more understood. my metier, as they say. And understood. And I know you have a new book out, which on. understood. And I know you have a new book out. We have a few more minutes here, which I certainly want you to talk about. And we can go back to uh, January 6th. My point is very, very simple. I think we can agree. I mean, I'm sorry. Can I just interject really quickly? I'm sure. just curious. Sure. Have you have you seen um, the video compilations of figures like Ray Epps? 
Uh, I've seen conspiracy theories. I've seen videos of conspiracy theorists. I've also seen a lot of people shouting, hang Mike Pence. I've seen officers almost, you know, getting some of their eyes attempted to get gouged out. I've seen, uh, you know, uh, a woman was trampled and died that day. Uh, I saw six to 700 idiots go in there and, you know, defecating on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Um, those were despicable people. I would hope that we could agree on that and they should have never gone in there. And I agree with you when you're talking about security. A fair point you make, but don't you think those people should be held to account for what they did that day? Why are so many Republicans out there defending them? Well, I mean, there are people that I think behaved in a manner that was unlawful. And to the extent that that occurred, I think there should be some punishments. I, th- I think contextually, though, when you compare the punishments that the January 6th people received to, say, the people involved in the Black Lives Matter and Antifa protests, I think there's a little bit of a mismatch there. And also, can I I respond to that? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to respond to what you just said, because I think it's very, very important. There is a mismatch. Tens of millions of people, uh, protested peacefully during the Black Lives Matter protests. There was a small percentage of people that did some very bad things. I've never heard one Democrat that said violence is great, light things on fire, attack police officers. It's they horrible. But, protests when cities were burning down. I understand. Tens I mean, of there, there were there, property. If you compare the property damage and the lives yeah. lost of the, the BLM protests, especially the property damage, it's not even a comparison. Here's and where. So, again, so, like, so hold on. Let's talk about that. Uh, as I was finishing, you're right. It's not a comparison. Tens of millions of people were protesting peacefully for equality. I was one of them. You had people protesting in Washington, D.C., with all due respect, on a lie. Donald Trump saying he won the election, attacking our democracy. Now, I don't condone violence, but I don't know why every single time I have conversations with Trump supporters about January 6th, they want to bring up something completely different, which is Black Lives Matter. I don't understand that, sir. Well, my, I mean, the reason that I bring that up is to say I'm not excusing, per se, the law unlawful behavior on January 6th. Who's excusing BLM violence? Who's doing that? Well, the Justice Department. No, they didn't. You know how many people were arrested? No, they're not. A lot more draconian approach to January 6th has the largest dragnet, the largest systematic DOJ prosecution in history. Who lit something on fire with evidence and the DOJ said, oh, we're not going to arrest you? I don't know what you're talking about. Thousands of people were behind bars for what took place during those protests. No, I mean, there were some people, but a lot of them not. A lot of them just got out the next day. Give me one name of one. Very well documented. All right. Well, give me one name of one person that uh, lit stuff on fire or attacked a police officer that was out the next day. Do you have one name for me? Well, I mean, I have no names. I have statistics on it. Okay. And, you know, so maybe you don't agree that you don't think that there's a difference in treatment, or maybe you think that for whatever reason, the system. No, let uh, me be very clear. Anybody who committed violence, who attacked a police officer, I want them uh, arrested and I want them the highest extent of the law. Okay. But, but my real point is not about BLM and Well, you brought it up, not me. You brought it up. Well, I know, but I was building up to something else. Understood. And I got sidetracked in that. Sure. Um, and so, you know, people can look that up and determine for themselves if they think that, uh, BLM and Antifa got an easy treatment there. But my real point that I was leading up to is Mm -hmm. that leaving that issue aside, 
some of the most egregious participants in January 6th have received lenient, if not zero, repercussions as compared to people with, I think, comparatively um, trivial offenses. Yeah. And a pattern of this happening is what initially kind of tipped me off to the notion that there could be something darker here and that um, there could be a running theme of provocateurs, key provocateurs who played pivotal roles at decisive moments who created those preconditions for the rally to turn into a riot. And Mm -hmm. I think there are a handful of people that I cover extensively, Mm -hmm. including um, documented video footage. So people don't have to take my word for it. They can go and look at these things. There might have been some. I hear you, my friend. But I think the biggest provocateur of them all was the man that you worked for the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, because if he didn't lie about the election being stolen in 2020, January 6th never happens. But unfortunately, we're out of time, my friend. But uh, I would love to have this. I love these types of conversations, to be honest with you, my man. And I would love for you to come on again. And we can probably get into a lot of issues. We might disagree, but hopefully we can do it respectfully. And and, uh, your new book out, right? The January 6th report, the report of the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. I apologize, uh, Darren, for the uh, technical issues we had earlier. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to have you to come back on. I love these discussions. I think think Americans need to have more of them, even if we disagree. And uh, I do appreciate you coming on, sir. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Darren. All right. There you go. Darren B., former speechwriter to Donald Trump, uh, controversial figure. Uh, the next guy we have coming on, by the way, is not very controversial, uh, not even in the world of poker. He's a great guy. Uh, love having Real Kid Poker Danny Negreanu joining us. Boy, talk about switching topics. That was an interesting interview. And with Danny Negreanu, it's always interesting. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this with Real Kid Poker Danny Negreanu. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. It's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas's top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. 
It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. The views and opinions expressed in the following program are those of the program's participants and do not necessarily reflect those of station staff, management, and advertisers. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. Always interesting guests, right? Tr- Donald Trump's former speechwriter joining us on the line. That was interesting. And now we move to the world of poker, the NHL, maybe a little bit of Elon Musk. Man, I love having this guy on. He's been the face of poker for the last, at least the last two decades. Uh, always great having Real Kid Poker, Daniel Negreanu, joining us on the line. Daniel, thanks so much for coming on, my man. It's been a little while. How are you doing? It's a pleasure. I heard your description when you were leaving your last guest and you said that I was not a controversial figure in poker. And boy, that's a bad read. I say what I believe and that's not always popular. So. Listen, there are always going to be some idiots out there. that are going to say, oh, you shouldn't have slammed this down after you lost a hand. And I, I can't believe you. But I wouldn't really call. Listen, the people that think you're controversial are snowflakes. I really don't know what else to say, Daniel. Fair enough. <laughs> So I want to ask you this. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're playing in the World Poker Tour at the win, right, last week. And you're, you're deep, right? There's what, maybe two tables left, I think. And correct me if I'm wrong. You have pocket deuces and you flop a set. Sorry, you have to relive this hand. And then a uh, guy has pocket kings, all the money's in. He hits a two out around the river. Do I have that right? Basically, yeah. It was a really great tournament. The World Poker Tour uh, Championship, they had three. They made a $15 million guarantee on it. And they doubled it. They had almost 3,000 players. It was a really big one. And, you know, to get through 3,000 players is very difficult. It's, you know, day six. And I was able to get down to the final 17, found myself in a spot where, you know, I'm over 90, like 95% or so to to have like 23 million in chips. But, uh, you know, that's why we play the game. You know, sometimes you can make all the right decisions and, uh, you know card comes that you don't want to come i want to ask you about that as a professional you being the true professional of poker how do you deal with that it is part of being a professional gambler right it's part of being a professional poker player you deal with it all the time when you make the right play and as you said you're 95 percent to win a hand and you lose and it's not like it's a cash game where you can just rebuy you've been playing in this for days right four or five days and then in just one moment you get really unlucky and you're done as a professional, what is that ride home like for you? And how do you deal with that mentally? Yeah, so it really depends on the moment and when it happens in a lot of ways. Like sometimes it's more emotional than others, right? If you get knocked out early in a tournament, oh, well, you were never really emotionally invested in it. But when you grind five straight days through 3,000 players and you're there, four million for first, you know, and you're one card away and you can just feel it and taste it, then it's like a punch in the stomach. Typically, I allow myself to internally vent a little bit, play the victim, you know, for a little while so that I just experience the experience. And then I'm able to move past that, you know, and I don't I don't pretend like it didn't affect me. I see a lot of guys. They like they think that this holier than thou. uh, I am a Buddhist. You know, nothing affects me. It's BS. Okay, it stings. Let it sting. And then once it stings, you know, once you once you've experienced it. Then you can move past it. And the next day I wake up ready to do it all over again. If you go through something like that an hour later, would you play in a big cash game if you felt like you had an advantage or, or do you just need to take like a day or h- how does that work for you when you take a bad beat like that? Well, the bad beat doesn't keep me away from the table. In this case, what would is I just played for five straight days. Like I'm on fumes, you know, we're exhausted. We're going to be playing till 
you know, the last day was going to go from noon till about 6 a.m. So, you know, that, <laughs> so that's like the focus is just that, like after I'm out of a tournament like that, I'm on the couch where I'm at right now. And I just, I don't move for about a day or two. Yeah. Uh, last question about that. I guess I want you to give advice to the novice poker player out there. You know, uh, we have bad beats in life, right? We all deal with difficult things in life. And I guess I shouldn't call poker hand life, but in some aspects it is, you know, you get unlucky in life, you get unlucky in a hand, you do things right in life. Things don't always turn out the, the way you want them to. What advice would you give a poker player or just in general, when you're really unlucky, maybe you take a really bad beat, could be a tournament, could be a cash game. What advice would Danny DeGrano, arguably the best poker player in the world for the last 20 years, what would you say to those people? Well, yeah, it's a great question because it mimics, you know, you can answer this both for life and poker. But first of all, you have to access your resilience, right? When you play poker, this is going to happen. In life, bad things are going to happen too. What defines you and your success is how you deal with those things, right? You know, in some cases, you the best approach is to look back at the hand, look back at the scenario and ask yourself, okay, was there anything to learn here? Did I make a mistake? Was this possibly me? Could I have done something differently? And in some cases, no. So you just have to learn to sort of understand that, you know, that's just sort of part of the game. If you did make mistakes, right, that's a beautiful thing because now you can actually look at it and say, okay, I'm going to learn something from this so that next time I don't make the same mistake, right? And then so then essentially like make like not learning anything from mistakes is the mistake. You know, anytime you have a breakdown in life or things don't go well, ask yourself, you know, what worked and what didn't work, right? Do more of what worked. And maybe less of what's not working and what didn't work. I think that's that's awesome advice. Uh, do, do you have something in your a, a moment in your poker career that you just cannot get over? Uh, I'm sure this is a hand that you can definitely get over uh, eventually, right? But I mean, you've been doing this for such a long time. Is there that one moment in your poker career where you say to yourself, uh, "This is something I can never get over"? No, because if I did, I, I would have had to quit, right? So resilience is super important. There are moments I look back, man. In the year 2000, I was 11 left in the World Series Poker Main event, and I played an ace-king against the pair of sixes, which is basically what we call a coin flip. I lost that hand, and that one stings because, you know, I maybe would have done something different today. Um, but, yeah, you're listen, you're going to have lots of moments like that. If you've played poker as long as I have, almost 30 years, there's going to be a lot of, like, oh, almosts, you know, a bracelet here, one card away. Like, oh, there's there's a whole bunch of these moments, right? But the thing about the human brain, which is unfortunate, is we typically remember the negative, most traumatic things more so than we do, like, the good things that have happened, sure. right? Similar to social media, like when you post something, right? You see 80 great comments. You see one bad one. What does the brain tend to focus on? Well, we tend to focus on the bad one. Go, who's this jerk? He doesn't think you know this. But meanwhile, 80 people said, great job, good for you. And one guy said something bad. And guess what? What you end up finding is people engage with the negativity because, you know, that's the one that stings. You are so right. It's kind of like Daniel Wright being at the blackjack table and you say, oh, that guy took my card. And then you lose the hand and you blame them. But you don't remember the last 20 times where maybe the guy took your card and you still won the hand, right? Yep. Good, good analogy. <laughs> yeah. Sure. All right. Let's get into some other topics that I haven't really talked to you about in a long time. Besides poker, I'm sure you're at times sick of talking about poker. Let's talk a little bit about Elon Musk. I want to get your thoughts on social media. You are a prominent figure on Twitter. You have a ton of followers and rightfully so. People care about what you have to say, as do I. That's why I love having you on the show. What do you make of Twitter? What do you make of Elon Musk? Uh, in a sense, he's censoring some conservatives now. I'm sure you heard the story of the kid that was monitoring uh, his private jet. He uh, took him off of Twitter. He's doing the exact thing that wasn't he calling the same stuff out a couple months ago. What are your thoughts on what's going on with Twitter? 
So I think this Elon Musk stuff is like a perfect example of sort of the despair of tribalism that we've created, right? So Elon Musk is now a figure where like, oh, okay, so if you're liberal, you just have to hate him. And if you're on the right, you have to embrace him. Is This is the rule. Like, so we have to just decide. How about we look at someone like an Elon Musk and we realize this is a very complex individual, right? He brought us electric vehicles. He brought us Starlink. He brought us potentially Neuralink, which was going to help you know, people who are paralyzed. So there's a lot of value he's brought to the world, right? Just his existence and what he's been able to get across. That doesn't mean he can't also be a jerk on Twitter and an idiot and some guy who's like an absolute troll. He can be both things, right? We're all complex. We all have, you know, good parts of who we are and bad. And when I look at a human being, I ask, what is their overall contribution? Is it beneficial or not? And someone like Elon Musk, like you think of a guy like him and like, he has the potential to move us forward in civilization. I don't agree with everything he says. I don't agree with his views on the population control and all this sort of stuff and whatnot. But like the bottom line is, I think, you know, he has value, right? Mm -hmm. As far as like what he wants to do with Twitter, I think he did uncover in a lot of transparency with the Twitter files and stuff like that. A lot of what was going on at Twitter is broken. It was broken. This company was losing 4 million bucks a day, had 400 project managers when you need like three, you know, they've fired like 70% of their staff working just the same, you know? So there was a lot of, indulgence and overspending. You had matcha teas, you had yoga rooms, you had nobody really working, right? So from an efficiency standpoint, you know, this was a Titanic ready to sink. So he's come in now stuck with it because he he bought it for 44 billion oops without really being able to find out what was under the hood. And when he did, he's like, oh, shiznit, I'm yeah. in trouble. Do you, so, do you find it interesting though, Daniel, that uh, he's at the World Cup. I'm sure you saw this video in the pictures with Jared Kushner and a bunch of the Saudis that apparently put up a lot of money investing into Twitter. And then in that same 24-hour period, he puts up a poll that says, hey, do you think I should still be you know, running Twitter? If not, I'll step down. Do, do you find that to be interesting? And do you think maybe the Saudis don't want him running Twitter? I don't think it has anything to do with the Saudis. I think it has to do with like, him sort of getting a pulse on, you know, what's happened to him, right? So this guy, like, if you think about it, you know, he was supposed to be the darling of the left. This is the guy who, climate change, I built electric cars, we're going to put, you know, gas and oil out of commission, but they hate him, right? They just absolutely hate him. So now he's like, well, who, now, you know, all of a sudden he's like, well, screw them. The other side sort of embraces me, but it's not as though, and I remember he put up a, a sort of a tweet a while ago, but like his political leanings have always, were here, and then both extremes sort of extended, the yeah. left and the right. And so it sort of moved him more, you know, one way or the other. But um, I think he's personally, I think he's bitter and upset that he's, you know, getting such negative flack. I think he was offended for sure when Joe Biden had a, you know, a summit for electrical vehicles and stuff like that and didn't invite Elon, like, you know, who was sort of the innovator of it and one of the first one to get it going. So yeah. I think a lot of like his lashing out and the child childish behavior is part and parcel because of sort of the how he's become kind of a hated figure by so many right. who don't really know the guy. You know, they just see his tweets, and some of them are childish. And stupid, You're right. Sure. Uh, because of who you are, Daniel, you've met a lot of prominent people in your life, particularly the last, right, 25 years or so, a lot of billionaires. Uh, you've played poker uh, against a, a lot of extremely wealthy people. Is it just me, or it seems to me a lot of these billionaires, they're just different? I mean, I mean, talk to me about that. I, they're, just, they're, they're just a different breed of people. Well, no question there is. And this is partly why, like when someone, people sort of question like, oh, Elon Musk, he's not a genius. He's just like, asked, had other people do stuff for him. I'm like, okay, well, isn't that part and parcel what genius is to be able to create things that no one else in the world ever has? So I have friends that are pretty friendly with Elon. that mm -hmm. are billionaires, you know, David Sachs and Jason Calcanis and, you know, Chamoths of the world that, you know, hang out and, you know, with, with Phil Hellmuth and, and whatever. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, they think, so here's the thing, when you accumulate so much in, in your life in one aspect, it can lead to Dunning-Kruger. Dunning-Kruger, for those that don't know what that is, is a belief that is because I'm so smart at one thing that I can sort of be smart at everything, right? And mm. poker players mm. suffer from this in a major way. Because <laughs> if you become a great <laughs> poker player, you figure out, well, I can solve all the world problems, right. you know? Um, and that's not always the case. However, having said that, you know, people that do get to that place, they do have a track record of problem solving. They do have a track record of being able to do things that nobody else has done. Now, being a billionaire doesn't mean that you're just smarter than everybody else. It isn't this, you're not a super genius just because you've accumulated money. But if you were able to tackle issues and create and, and do things in a way that nobody else has ever done before, well, there's some genius in that, right? Mm. And so people that have a track record like that, and Elon has a pretty good one in that regard. So, you know, everyone's like rooting for Twitter to fail on the left. I want it to succeed, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, th- I think it's, I hope that it's better. I hope moderation is better. I think the community notes idea is fantastic. Anytime, you know, a prominent figure puts out a post about COVID or whatever. Right. Let's have underneath the actual facts on both sides. Right. right. And right. then maybe Twitter can be a trusted source of news more so than some other places that people get it. I feel like at Twitter at times is a cesspool of negativity. Uh, and I feel like I think we would probably agree on this. You shouldn't be allowed to incite violence. Right. You shouldn't be allowed to call, you know, swear at people or, or use vulgarities or things of that nature. I guess my question to you is, where do you draw the line? I don't want to see medical misinformation. I mean, I almost died of COVID two years ago. There's a lot of people that'll say millions of people have died from the vaccines and, and those sorts of things. What you're saying is put the facts underneath it. Do, do you think those people should be censored? Where do you draw the line, Daniel? Absolutely not. So Birdwatch has already been around, but now they're going to call it community notes because you thought Birdwatch was wrong. But if you look back, some of the times the people are being censored or they were shadow banned, they were, mm-hmm. it was completely inappropriate. There was one professor who basically wrote a piece about the potential harm of the lockdowns on children, right? On their mental health. Right. And, you know, internally in Twitter, they're like, we don't like this, right? This is not good. So they shadow banned him. And I thought, I think shadow banning is the worst offense because like, if you want to ban somebody for stuff that they write, let them know. So then they can choose to continue to do that or not, but don't just hide them on the site. Like, let them know the reasons why. Mm -hmm. But the idea that like, I don't think we should censor anyone per se. Obviously, like you said, I think inciting violence or like hate speech, you know, stuff that Kanye's done or whatever, that's like off limits, but people having a view that, Hey, maybe COVID was created in a lab, right? Maybe. Like, you can't even discuss that. That's not even something that you can discuss. Yeah. Maybe there's two genders and maybe non-binary is not real. If you say this publicly, like, are you censored because it doesn't no. align with the ideological mm-hmm. view of the majority? We need this. This is what colleges and universities used to be about. Yeah. Discussing intricate issues that you can no longer talk about anymore. Because if you don't toe the line as a professor or anything else and you raise these controversial topics, you get axed. You get so much pressure from people, yeah. from these kids who now feel like, I was triggered. I have a right to fire this man because he said something I don't agree with. Yeah. So, right? I, so Daniel, I agree with you, but this is my anger or frustration with some conservatives out there. They want to talk about freedom of speech, right? But what some of these people don't understand or maybe fail to understand is that that only pertains to the government, right? Twitter is a private business. If you don't like Elon Musk and you don't like what he's doing, the guy owns Twitter. He should be allowed to do what he wants to, right? For the most part. Uh, same thing when before, before Elon Musk owned Twitter, these are private businesses. And yet conservatives want to talk about, oh, freedom of speech. They're taking my freedom of speech, right? That doesn't pertain to private business, right? Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I do think that, you know, there is fair criticism of what Twitter was doing because mm-hmm. listen, they said, Shadow batting wasn't happening. They lied. 
right? They flat out said, you know, we don't do this and they do do this, right? So yeah, obviously it's their company. They can choose to run it however they want. They can ban whoever they want. They can create whatever rules in this playground that they want. And if people don't like it, they can find a new playground. I saw a really good thread about this and that, you know, like Twitter really doesn't have to be the only one ultimately, right? You know, the internet is a vast space of different places where people can discuss things, right? If you don't like Twitter, go to another place, create your own thing or whatever. And, you know, and, and, and if, if it offends you so much and, and, and play in a playground that plays on rules that you're comfortable with. But you're right in that, like, if you say things on Twitter and I run Twitter and I don't like it, I can ban you, period, right? You have that right. Now, that doesn't mean that it's right or wrong to do so. Like, and I do think that, you know, censoring some of the voices that were questioning the vaccine and all this sort of stuff, like, you know, the Hunter Biden story, as you mentioned, suppressing all this stuff, you shouldn't do all that. You just shouldn't, you know, like you should just leave that alone. Let it get out there, but do what they're doing now, which is in community notes, say, by the way, this is false information, da 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 da. Here's why, and provide the links below. And do this equally and unequivocally for all information. And then what we get is less actual misinformation being spread. Yeah. We get more accurate information being spread. You still have people spreading misinformation, but sometimes A, it's not, and B, Sometimes they don't know it's misinformation. They actually believe it to be true, right? So Absolutely. You're tell people this is misinformation. Well, prove me wrong. Let's you know. Let's have the community notes decide. I want to talk to you about some controversial figures that have also used to have, at least in Kanye West, prominent Twitter accounts and platforms. What do you make of this era? Kyrie Irving stuff was crazy too. I was just talking to Joe Sai. He was in town last week, the owner of the Nets about this. What do you make of some of these people that are the, the anti-Semitic comments, Hitler loving comments that Kanye West has made and these huge platforms that they have? What do you make of this era and what some of these people are saying and doing? It's incredibly sad because today the rabbit hole goes so deep and ultimately the rabbit hole always ends up in the same place, unfortunately, and it has for, you know, hundreds of years. And it, 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 the rabbit hole ends up with like, blame the Jews for everything, mm. right? They end up being the root of it. So people go down these YouTube rabbit holes, watch this silly movie where it's no, it's actually the black people that were the real Hebrews and all this sort of confusion and whatnot. And a lot of people in despair and generally speaking, people that are prone to sort of conspiracy theories that are outlandish deal with some sort of mental health issues. And we know that Kanye is bipolar, right? He is. He says he's not now, but he's definitely bipolar. And so someone like him is incredibly susceptible to this sort of stuff. You look at Kylie Irving, he bought into the whole flat earth stuff. How did that happen? He went on YouTube and whatever, and he found all these videos like, oh, wow, look at what they're hiding, whatever. And you can make very convincing cases. Like if you looked at 2000 mules, this story about, you know, the voting. And it's like, if you hear the music, don and all this stuff, and it's released, like you watch and you think it's true. But then you're like, if you actually fact check it, it's complete BS. It's like, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. baloney. Not only that, but the Dinesh D'Souza, the guy who made that film, is a felon, by the way. <laughs> right, but it does. Yeah, so it doesn't even matter that it's true or not. If it's if it comes in a compelling package and you go down that rabbit hole, you know, it's unfortunate. I've, I I know too many people that were somewhat normal, you know, and you know during COVID, during lockdowns, yeah, they went down some of these rabbit holes and they're not recovered. You, you know? make a and, good point. I know people, Daniel, that were absolutely radicalized during COVID. They've been radicalized. I'm, do you know people like that as well? I mean, my former co-host, I believe, was radicalized. Do, do you believe that, that you have people in your inner circles that have been radicalized the last several years? Yes, absolutely. And listen, you know what, what they don't even realize, a lot of them, is a lot of it came from sort of the QAnon conspiracy, which, you know, some of that leaked to this idea, you know, the Pizza Gates and whatever else there are, these like conspiracy theories and things like that. 
But lots of people, like once you go down that rabbit hole, and the danger too with, with social media in general is most of these algorithms, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, or you know Twitter to a certain degree, um, will continue to give you things that push you further down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I watched a really great piece on 60 Minutes of a young 11-year-old girl who started on Instagram. She was just looking for fitness videos. Fitness videos led to dieting tips. Dieting tips led to skinny girl videos. Skinny girl videos led to pro-anorexia videos. And this mm. is an 11-year-old child, mm. right? And that's what the algorithm did. And what's really sad and unfortunate is these social media companies can stop it. They can stop that from happening. They choose not to in a lot of ways in the name of profit and keeping eyeballs there, right? And, you know, at the risk of our children. And there's a big lawsuit. You know, a couple of these families, you know, one of them was a 12-year-old girl who hung herself. She learned how to hang herself on Instagram, right? <laughs> like this stuff needs to be. And, and there was a video teaching people how to do it. And it was up for like a year. That's right? terrible. So they have to do a really good job of policing. And they have to do it not I, I mean, I, they have to do it because it's what's right for humanity. Right. You know, I agree. We still make a tidy profit, but also understand that we need to protect our children. And uh, and in fairness to to Elon Musk, he's done. I think it was forty four or fifty thousand accounts that were involved in like human trafficking, slavery, sla you know, um, trading that he's eliminated. Right. The question is, why wasn't that already done? Right. It's a very why good this, question. You're, you're policing this guy who wrote a piece about COVID lockdowns. You're policing people who have theories that maybe the the, the 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 covid came from a lab but you're allowing this like focus where it matters people yeah no i agree i i uh, that's unfortunate and yeah I, I agree with everything you said there if you're just joining us real kid poker danny negranu uh talking about issues in the world right social media uh here's something we haven't talked about in a while and that is vgk hockey so daniel i know you uh you go to most of the games i was uh, at the game the other day i'm going to the game tonight what do you make of the fact, I guess this is a loaded question, but what do you make of the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights uh, are, are not winning games at home, but yet they have this amazing record on the road and they're struggling to score goals at home, even though they had a pretty good game the other day against a bad uh, Arizona team? What do you make of this team struggling to score goals at the Fortress? Well, yeah, it's been sort of a weird anomaly and it's sort of, I feel like it's, you know, over the last couple of seasons, we started out, you know, way above average at home. We won every game, basically the first two seasons, we just right. won every game at home. And I think like some of that home ice advantages wore off. I mean, I don't know that the crowds are as energetic as maybe they once were, you know, and I don't know that people like people don't, we don't have the Vegas flu issue anymore where people fly in like they're professionals. They're going to, you know, gear up to play against Vegas. I think, you know, the bigger issue here for, for Vegas is once again, once again, injuries, right? Jack Eichel, when he's out of the lineup, that, that really hurts your offense. Shea Theodore out of the lineup, uh, Alex Petrangelo, obviously dealing with an issue with his child you know, out for a little while. And now you have March. So out tonight. So when you're throwing in a bunch of these, like, cause the bottom six is really problematic from a goal scoring perspective. We just don't have like overall, I think, and this is the same, this has been true since season one, basically the third line is continually and has always been lacking an identity. We don't know what the hell it is. The fourth line, we've always had a fourth line. All right. They go out there, whether it's Reeves, no sick carrier, you know, while there's always been a fourth line, you know, you've got the misfit line, you got the top line, but what is the third line? It's sort of a hodgepodge. You got yeah. Phil Kessel on there, sort of in no man's land, playing with Amadio or Lecision or Ronberg or whatever, and really difficult to to create what that is. And I and I, and I hear Bruce Cassidy in his post games often mention that you know yeah. like we don't we don't know what we have here, and we got to sort of figure it out. But the problem with the third, see, this is the problem that I that I thought about with this team is lack of depth. Right? right. When you lose an Eichel, you lose a Theodore, you lose these guys. Like you don't have, you know really 
good offensive players that you can sort of fill in those roles. I agree with you. And uh, boy, it was pretty uh, scary last week, right? We saw Stone go down and, and we thought, oh my God, did he tear his Achilles? What happened? And then he's back on uh, a shift uh, five minutes later. But you got to worry about some of these guys too with their health. You mentioned Marsha. So being he's a younger, younger, but uh, you mentioned some of these guys and it, you don't want some of these key guys getting hurt. You need Stoney out there. Uh, Petrangelo, obviously, with the situation with his daughter. Last I heard, his daughter's doing much better. Thank goodness for that. But yeah, I mean, I think the goaltending has been pretty solid, right? I think you would agree with me on that. Logan Thompson's pretty been pretty good in net. Our backup also uh, has a great record. Uh, they both have been good. And uh, I, I think you have to be happy from a goaltending standpoint, right? Yeah, like here. Well, here's the thing. Bruce Cassidy flat out said before he came, he's like, my, you know, my system is goalie friendly. And it is. You know, they play a zone defense, right? Right. So that means that there's always D-men in front of the net. You know, in the past, we played sort of a man-to-man. And, you know, one of the knocks on Vegas was, you know, loose pucks and second chance opportunities making it really difficult on Flurry or Laner or whoever was in the net, right? And, you know, cleaning that up has been really, really big for them. One of the downsides of it, of course, is, you know, you end up in your own zone a lot more often because if you're not chasing after the puck to go get it, you're waiting for them to take a, a shot from the outside or whatever. They often will have possession for longer periods of time. Um, you know, which can lead to some fatigue on the back end and whatnot. But overall, I like the system. I think it, it makes sense, especially because you have very young goalies. Both are pretty close to the same age, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, and both are performing. I mean, every, by, by all measures, you have to say, you know, above expectation, no question. Are you back to being, and is it fair to call you a VGK super fan or that? No, you're never going back there. Like, how do you feel right now in general about the organization? Because we've all had our frustrations. I know you've had yours. How do you feel about VGK right now? And are you still, I know you're a Canucks fan at heart, but, or Toronto, right? I'm sorry, Toronto. But are, are you a VGK super fan again? Or is that label not fair? I am like, I am just a massive hockey fan. I yep. mean, if you saw how much time I spent on hockey and fantasy and just watching all the games, it's like it's pretty ridiculous how much I love the game <laughs> and watching the game. Obviously, you know, internally within the organization, I'm not a fan. Or I've never been really of Kelly McCrimmon and the way in which, you know, they've handled past employees and stuff like that. I root for Phil Kessel. Like if Phil wasn't there, you know, yep. and I know he's struggling and I know he's had some defensive lapses playing on the on the wing the other night and it's like oh my god he's getting the heat he's getting the heat come on phil step it up um so i root for him you know and i root for the players more so than i do like you know i'm not listen i want them to win i want them to succeed but Mm -hmm. i don't have that same passion that i did in like season in in that san jose game when i was like literally having a nervous breakdown (laughs) you know when we when they scored three goals we all were yeah (laughs) i did up I, I don't do this, but like, cause you know, my wife, whatever she knows about this, I don't shake and do this stuff and have breathing problems. I don't, I did that game. I was like literally, like, <laughs> literally textbook dealing with anxiety in that game, you know? And, um, and since again, like, I feel like, you know, um, we've, we've taken a turn in terms of the way in which we're viewed, like the rest of the league wants us to, s- to fail now. And, you know, we they used to really root for us. We were the new yeah. kid on the block. Yeah. Uh, I want to, uh, if you can give poker fans an update, uh, I saw on your social media, you and uh, E-Dog, Eric Lindgren, you're at a, uh, look great, by the way, sushi restaurant, right? Downtown Summerlin. The food looked pretty darn good. Um, I know Eric Lindgren. He paid my way into the main event back in 2009, the only time I ever played in the World Series of Poker. I, I've always known him as to be a really good dude, and I know you're really close to him. You guys have been friends for a long time. Can you give me an update on Eric? Because I know you know he had some gambling issues in the past, and I know you don't speak for him. How is he doing these days, and, and what is he up to these days? Yeah, E-Dog's a great guy. I mean, obviously, listen, we all make mistakes, and he's made plenty you know, in the gambling realm. 
But before I get there, the restaurant, I want to give it a shout out because it's unbelievable. It's called Jing, J-I-N-G. Really like full menu. I had the best sake I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Some, I, I, unbelievable. It was an expensive bottle of sake. It was a limited edition thing, but it was the best sake I've ever had. And I'm a vegan, right? But I like to go to places where people don't, they can have a wide variety of food. It's a sushi place with all that stuff with an incredibly great vegan menu as well. Like fantastic. Wow. How much was the bill? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> the bill was, well, the, 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 the sake was 1200. Oh my God. But the rest of the bill was much cheaper than that. 1200 for sake. Oh my God. Oh. That was a deal. They gave me a deal. It was a $2,000 bottle. Oh really? They gave you a deal. Wow. How nice of them. Oh my God. It was unbelievable. Gosh. It was well worth it. Every drop. Yeah. But as for E-Dog, you know, he's doing well. He's got kids. So he's got a, he's a dad now. So he's not, you know, he's prominent on the tour, you know, living in San Diego, just trying to be a good dad and, you know, rectify some of the financial issues that he had. And I think like, in, you know, there was a period where, you know, he filed, you know, bankruptcy. And, you know, things didn't go well for him. And, but I think like a lot of people, like you, like with you, for example, you know, him putting you in the main event, he helped so many people. He gave so many people opportunities. And then issues happened with the company that he worked with. And, you know, the gravy train stopped coming in, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, there's no more money. And people are like, well, where's mine? <laughs> I don't have it. You know, this isn't a Bernie Madoff case. There was no intention to rob and steal people. He just made some mistakes and, uh, you know, wasn't able to, you know, overcome you know some of the you know he had like some the gambling issues that he had i'm glad he's doing better by the way but what what happened to howard letterer annie duke i know ferguson plays still whatever happened to letterer and duke and and, and all of them and anybody that was associated with full tilt because most of these people aren't around anymore right well we haven't seen chris ferguson in a couple of years he did come back to play for about a year year and a half howard letterer played one or two in the last five years and then just sort of disappeared annie duke is outside of poker she's sort of rebranded herself as like this motivational speaker who does speaking events in the, in the, I think she's married some billionaire guy or whatever like that. She's completely ostracized from poker. Like people in poker have no time for her. Um, and people are actually in poker get really upset when they see mainstream people talk about her in this positive light. And they're like, do you realize the scams that she was involved in? You know? So it's interesting how, you know, you were able to do that. She's completely out of poker uh, as are most of the people from that era that, you know, they're not regulars anymore. There's a new generation of people and me still, because, you know, I'll be here forever. <laughs> I know you will. Well, Daniel, when you, uh, if you ever retire from poker, which I'm not sure you should or will, you should be a uh, political talk show host. I'm telling you, man. We do a show together. That would be fun. You and me doing a show together would be a lot of fun. Danny, it's always a pleasure, my man. Thank you so much. And uh, take it easy on the sake, okay? <laughs> I was so good. Though. I, it, it looked good when you put the pictures up, the video on social media. I'm like, man, that food looks really, really good. But hey, I, I want you and your family, your wife. I hope you guys have a great Christmas, have a great holiday, my friend. And are you going to the game tonight, by the way? Looking at possibly, most likely. All right. Well, if you're there, I'll stop by and I'll say hello. Danny, it's always a pleasure having you on, my man. You're always one of my favorite guests, and I appreciate you. Uh, maybe we'll see you tonight. Have a good one, Daniel. Thanks for the time. Take care, bud. Take care. Danny Negreanu, everybody. Real Kid Poker. See, that's what I love about having this guy on. I love it because we could talk about anything. I could I could talk for hours with this guy because he's so smart. Not that I'm Mr. Albert Einstein. That's not what I'm saying. But Daniel is just such a brilliant guy. We can talk about poker. Obviously, he's a brilliant poker player, one of the best in the world, has been for quite some time. He's extremely smart when it comes to money, although I wouldn't say spending $1,200 on sake is smart, but he can afford it. But uh, we can talk about Elon Musk stuff. And, you know, he really opened up my eyes to Elon Musk because he's right. Elon Musk has done a lot of good things. He's not this horrible guy that's done all this bad. He's done a lot of good for society, too. And he's right. Daniel's right about that. And, and you know, we could talk about politics. We could talk about poker. We could talk about anything. We could talk about VGK hockey. By the way, one of the most knowledgeable hockey fans 
uh, I've ever spoken to. There's no question about that. I want to tell you guys about my good friends at Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care. They are located at 6125 West Sahara Avenue, Suite 1B. No appointment needed. Give them a call, though, 702-240-0554. You can visit them online at saharawesturgentcare.com. Uh, they take most insurances, but if you don't have insurance, it's only 95 bucks. Check them out. Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to end Friday, Marques, with a good feel story, right? Something that is good for humanity. It involves the Raiders. It involves the Patriots. And it involves a Patriots fan and a Raiders fan. Ooh, this is going to get juicy, but it's got a very happy ending. Not the kind of happy ending that Chris Wynn enjoys on uh, Spring Mountain. I'm sorry, that was a horrible joke. I'll never make a joke like that again. <laughs> anyway, I'll take a break, and I'll tell you about this great story. Nothing to do with Chris Wynn. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client, so please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Hey, everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super. Hero, that is. Because why be a sub? And you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. 
Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Experience the Artisan Hotel's theme suites, restaurant, bar, pool, and complimentary valet. During the week, the Artisan is a quiet Las Vegas retreat that's great for travelers and locals. The weekend is all about nonstop partying and the award-winning Artisan nightlife. All rooms include free gym access and Wi-Fi. The Artisan Hotel is centrally located between the Strip and downtown Las Vegas. Book your stay at artisanhotel.com. The Artisan Hotel, your unique Las Vegas boutique hotel. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. I'm so glad you could join us. I'll tell you who I'll be joining this weekend. My favorite gaming bar in town, of course, Jackson's Bar and Grill, located at uh, Flamingo and Jones. Their December promos are pretty dang cool. Okay, every Sunday you earn 200 points, you get $50 in free play. On Mondays you earn 200 points, you get a free bottle of wine. On Tuesdays, 10-time points all day. Uh, pass the puck. Uh, during Vegas Golden Knights games tonight. Pretty cool, actually. If you hit a four of a kind on max bet, 25 cent max bet, uh, you get a puck. And if you keep the puck by the end of the period, you get a hundred dollars in free slot play, which is pretty darn cool. Some restrictions do apply. Please check them out. Jackson's Bar and Grill, my favorite gaming bar in town. So I figured I would, um, end today with a feel good story, right? A feel good story. So as you know, sometimes, Raiders fans can get a little bit out of control. Now that, listen, to be fair, you can be at any sporting event. It could be a World Cup game. It could be an NFL game. Heck, even an NBA game. Maybe not an Aces game. I don't think they do that at, at Aces games. But you get my point, though. A lot of sporting events, you get you get some jerks that treat fans bad. So the New England Patriots are playing the Raiders last week at Allegiant Stadium. And at this game... There's a man that's a New England Patriots fan. It was his first time catching a game. His name is Jerry Edmond. He's standing there with his friend in this video, and he's watching the Patriots-Raiders game. By the way, really sad ending for a Patriots fan, but that's another story. His first NFL game last week. And even if the loss wasn't painful enough for Jerry, there's a viral video that has surfaced online this week. And when I mean viral... I mean viral. It's got over 15 million views in just several days. And in this video, it shows Jerry standing up with his friend, just enjoying the game. And a video of this repugnant, disgusting woman verbally abusing Edmund as Raiders players and fans were celebrating. Now, I thought for a moment... And I am not being facetious. I thought that was Michelle Fiore in the video. I really did. It looked like Michelle Fiore. Short, stocky lady. I really, I really thought it was her, but it wasn't. It was, I don't, I don't know who this lady is. I want to know who this lady is because she should be banned from all Allegiant Stadium games for life. 
She got right in this guy's face. And by the way, you don't have to touch somebody. In my opinion, if you get in somebody's personal space, there, there are rules there too, right? So you can't just like get in someone's face and put your hands next to them. And you know, that's, that's invading somebody's personal space. You can't do that. She was doing that in this video. It is clear cut. Somebody videoed it behind her. And this guy, this is the amazing part of this story. You know, the woman's wearing this Derek Carr jersey. She's repeatedly lunging within the personal space of this guy who I said. And this is the amazing part of this story. This guy, Jerry, remains stoic the whole time. I give him so much credit. This guy should be teaching anger management classes. The guy just stood stoic like a statue. Looking forward, I have no idea what could have been going through this guy's head. At one point, the woman's maybe boyfriend or brother or husband, I don't know how anybody could spend any time around this woman. I pity the person that would do that. This guy, you can see like he's holding her back and I think he gives her a kiss. So I would assume it's not her brother, but you never know these days. I don't know. Uh, but he just remains stoic the whole time. I got to tell you, if I'm in a situation like that where... I have somebody acting like that towards me. I'm not saying I'd be violent, but boy, it'd be really hard not to push this person away. And then you got a physical altercation that starts, and that's when you can have real problems. Maybe I'd go to somebody from security. I don't know. But he just stood there, and he took it, and he ignored her, at least to the best of his ability, and he did a pretty darn good job in doing so. So I commend this guy, and I think anybody that watches this video would do the same. But here's where the story gets interesting, and it gets better. New England Patriots owner... Robert Kraft is certainly known for his generosity, and he's certainly continuing that trend after inviting Jerry Edmond to Gillette Stadium. Now, even though there is a digital search to identify uh, who this woman is, apparently, in the story that I'm reading, Robert Kraft reached out to this guy and is offering to give him tickets to a game and is offering to meet him and introduce him to the players. In a response, Jerry Edmonds said on social media, I'd like to thank everyone for all the kind words. I'm the Patriots fan in the video. My name is Jerry Edmond, and that was my first ever NFL game. I didn't want to ruin my experience by retaliating towards that woman, so I kept my cool, and boy, did he ever. Several people have reached out with compliments and offers of game tickets and other measures, including Kraft, as I mentioned. Uh, he's going to come to the game. Versus the Cincinnati Bengals taking the experience. He's going to be on the pregame in the on the field with field passes. He's going to have a customized jersey made out for him, and in a much more suitable environment, I would say, uh, to catch the game in New England. And it even gets better than that because I also praise the Raiders because the Raiders organization has reached out to him as well. They've offered him tickets to a future game or a concert or any event he wants to see at Allegiant Stadium. They've also offered him airfare and hotel. That's worth a lot of money. <laughs> And you know what? I, I He deserves it. Good people that can restrain themselves, that don't escalate situations. He deserves it. He seems like a good dude. And by the way, I'm going to get him to come on the show next week. I spoke to him on social media. He's going to come on next week. This is a, a good dude, man. And I want to know who this woman is. I want to know her name. Call me cancel culture if you want to. I want to know where she works. Because any adult that acts like a six-year-old at a Raider game, I take personally or anywhere else. 
You act like that towards somebody, you are asking for trouble. You are a nitwit. I want to know who this woman is. She probably lives in Las Vegas. Somebody has to know who she is. I want to find out her name, and I want to find out what what company she represents if she has a job. And yes, I think it would be great to make her out as an example. Take her tickets away if she has season tickets. Don't allow her ever to come back to Allegiant Stadium, 86er. And you know what? If she loses her job, so be it. I want to know who she is. We're not talking about flipping somebody the bird when you're driving, okay? We all have done things like that from time to time. Maybe not all of us, but some of us, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about raising your fist and and putting out a yell if your team scores a goal and poking the bear of someone next to you that's wearing the opposing team's jersey. That's okay. That's all fun and games. We can all do that stuff, whatever. You flip somebody the bird in your car. We we all do that. That's not what I'm... I'm talking about harassing somebody and getting in someone's personal space during a football game when they're trying to enjoy the game. That is utterly disgusting. And yes, I believe she should be banned. As would I say for anybody else. Anybody else that behaves that way. Now, people know who this woman is because 15 million people have watched this video. She obviously... I would imagine regrets her behavior. At least I would hope so. I just don't know how you can be an adult and you can behave that way. Maybe she was intoxicated, but that is no excuse. That is not an excuse for her behavior. But I go back to this guy, Jerry Edmond, and I praise him to the high heaven, man. We need to have more restraint as human beings, and we have to deal with stupid idiots like that. We shouldn't have to, but we do. Trust me, I had restraint when I had to look Michelle Fiore in the eye the other day. I had to hold a lot of restraint. But um, I'm happy for this guy. I really am. I truly am. I'm happy for him. And uh, I also give kudos to both, both organizations. Kraft did the right thing. I give kudos to the Patriots. And I also give kudos to the Raiders. This type of behavior needs to be called out. And I want to know who this woman is. And I swear to you, I'm not lying when I say she looked like Michelle Fiore's stunt double. I thought it was her for a moment. But you know what? Even if it was her, the, uh, she would still be the justice of the peace in Nye County. I just want to be clear on that. By the way, good, good win for uh, UNLV Hoops last night. Went to the game against Southern Miss. Southern Miss, not as good as I thought they were. And their best player had a horrific shooting night. Their best player averages 17 points a game. He had one point. But uh, still, it's a W. And uh, UNLV, are they 12 and one now, or it's either 11 and one or 12 and one? They're heading into conference play now. You couldn't have asked for a much better out of conference uh, record, even though they didn't play a lot of really good teams. But this was a nice bounce back game for UNLV, and it'll be very interesting what happens conference play. Uh, I can give you my prediction, and my prediction is this: uh, I think they are one of the top four teams in the league. There are five pretty good teams in the league, right? UNLV certainly being one of them. You got San Diego State. New Mexico's really good this year. Coach Patino has a team that's much better than last year. They're much improved. New Mexico's pretty good. Utah State's pretty good, too. Are they still undefeated? They might be. Utah State's really good. And Wyoming's, uh, Boise State's good, too. Boise State's a really good team. And Wyoming, uh, they've been not very good. But the reason why they haven't been very good the last several weeks is because they've got some injuries. Wyoming's a pretty good team also. This is a very uh, decent conference this year. 
there's some decent basketball teams, and there's parity in the Mountain West Conference this year. I'm excited for this basketball season. We had Kevin Kruger on the line yesterday, and he agreed with me. He said, yeah, the league's really, really good. Uh, you, you, could, you could name four or five teams that could get into the NSA tournament. So that's a good thing for the conference. Put it this way, the basketball conference, a lot better than the football conference, at least this year, I think. Any one of those five teams I just mentioned, I believe, can win the Mountain West Conference regular season. It probably won't be UNLV, but the, but at the level they're playing defensively, wouldn't shock me. I just think there are a couple teams that are a little bit more physical and they're a little better offensively. I think San Diego State is certainly one of them. Boise State, I think UNLV can beat them. I think UNLV can beat Utah State. They've got some big guys, but I think UNLV's guard play is much better than Utah State, better than Boise State. Uh, New Mexico is going to be a challenge. I think New Mexico is really good. Uh, New Mexico uh, is much improved from last year. Patino's doing a good job over there. I can't, but it pains me to say that. I don't like Patino Jr., but he's doing a good job over there. And we'll see how Wyoming goes. But anyway, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting weekend tonight. If you're wondering what I'm up to, uh, I'll be going to, not that anybody cares, but I'm going to the Vegas Golden Knights game tonight. Uh, a nice, relaxing weekend. I hope everybody has a great Christmas on Sunday. I'll be spending my Christmas with the Brett Raymer family. I'm going to be hanging out at his restaurant. We're going to be having some fun. So hopefully it'll be a nice relaxing weekend for me. Hopefully no new ulcers for me. Hopefully I'll be okay. I wish everybody out there a wonderful holiday, a Merry Christmas. And of course, everybody here in the KSHP family, I appreciate Mark's help this week. As always, he's doing a wonderful job. And I appreciate all of you listeners out there as well. Hope everybody has a fantastic Christmas. Have a great one, everybody. We'll be back live on Monday. See ya.